I just want us to get back into these basic instructions that Jesus has given us for living our lives. And we're picking up the sixth chapter of Matthew, the first through the eighth verses. And uh, you could pretty well sum up these verses with uh, three different points. First of all, give and don't grandstand. Don't make a big show out of your giving. Next, when you pray, don't make it a production. It's supposed to be between you and the Lord. And then the last one, whenever you're fasting, don't make it a fanfare or don't sound a fanfare. Again, all three of these things Jesus is pointing out to us because they're supposed to be connected to our relationship and our connection to God, not to just our religious activity. And he uh, calls special attention to not being using vain repetition in our prayers. And uh, I remember uh, reading where there was a Lutheran pastor one time, they'd always begin the service where the pastor would say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond, and also with you. And then they'd go on with things. And one day he got up, and the microphone wasn't working right. And he said, there's something wrong with this microphone. And the congregation said, and also with you. <laughs> we can get to where we just could just by rote say things and they don't have any meaning anymore. Some people get fearful that that can happen with the Lord's Prayer and with uh, the Apostles' Creed because we say those so many times. And yet these are things that I don't think that we can say them enough, not because uh, it's a vain repetition, but because they have the foundation of our faith within them. And I remember uh, the first time that our little granddaughter that had been living with us for some time, Sharon looked over and she was saying the Apostles' Creed by heart. And she was just a little thing. We'd said it so much, much that it had gotten stuck in her heart. It's the same with the hymns that we sing. There are so many hymns that we sing that are uh, just our, our theology, and they 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 just uh, feed us uh, spiritually. And so we do have those sorts of things, but whenever it becomes just vain repetition, where you're just saying things over and over again just to uh, uh, say them, and you think that just saying them is going to make a difference, then you're on the wrong track. I want to especially zero in today on prayer. And some people take this passage where Jesus is talking about not making a big to-do out of praying and praying in public to be a prohibition to pray in public. And it's not a prohibition against praying in public. He's not saying that you should only pray in private. But what he is saying is that if you're praying in public, make sure that you're really praying and that you're talking to God and not just for the people around you. Whenever I say for the people around you, I mean just for show, because that's whenever it gets to be wrong. 
But whenever we are praying on behalf of the congregation, I had to work through this because I was one of those for a long time. I thought that you didn't pray in public. That was something private and between you and God. And yes, first and foremost, it is. But whenever you have the opportunity to lead others in prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. But just make sure that you have prayed in private a lot more than you pray in public. And so um, uh, my grandfather was one of those that didn't believe that he should be praying in public and he just didn't feel comfortable praying in public. And yet he was one of the most generous and helpful men in the entire church. He uh, was always helping his pastors, even after they were gone from the congregation. He was always still taking care of them, helping them buy cars, anything he could. He did to uh, help his pastors, and uh, he got all the pastors together at annual conference every year. His current pastor and former pastors, and fed them all lunch at least one day during annual conference. And he was always the church's delegate to annual conference. He was a big, hard worker in the church. And so people thought that they could, whatever new preacher came, they thought that they could call upon him to pray. Now then, he just did not feel comfortable praying in public. My grandmother, she was a preacher's kid and she knew how to pray. And she wasn't afraid of praying in public, but she didn't like it whenever her husband would not pray in public. And so whenever the pastor would say, uh, Brother Lindley, would you uh, offer, would you pray, lead us in prayer? Grand, my, my grandfather would just nudge my grandmother and say, honey. And then she was expected to pray. And she didn't, she always, she said she always prayed mad. <laughs> and she'd go home from church mad because her husband did that to her. That was one of the few points of friction in their marriage. And uh, it's just one of those things that worked out that way. But uh, they got along just fine apart from that. But the thing is, my grandfather just felt very strongly like that. But And the whole point is, is that prayer is important. That's whatever Jesus talks. He doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray, when you pray, prayer is so important. There's a, an account given of a lumber mill that was set up on the Amazon River. It was an innovative thing where they put a power plant on the river itself so that they could get uh, fuel to it to keep it running, put generator on a barge out on the Amazon River. And then they had set up the mill far inland where the uh, timber was, and then they ran a line all the way from the barge to the mill. And it took weeks to get this all set up, quite a production, and then it came time for them to crank the mill up, and they pulled the switch, and nothing happened. They couldn't even begin to work on the first log. And so they radioed back to the barge, and said, where's the power? And they said, the power's on. Said, we don't have any power. Send us power. They said, the power's here. We don't have any power here. So finally, somebody radioed back and said, check the connection. And so they went and they opened up the, connect the junction box. And sure enough, 
somehow out of all of this work that had taken place, the electrician had not made that final connection. And so no power was getting through to the mill. Once that connection was made, the mill ran just fine. Well, prayer is our connection. It is prayer that connects us with God. And it's so important that we are aware of this. And we need to be one of those things that distinguishes us as God's people. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fell. And then Cain killed his brother. And then another child was born to them, and his name was Seth. And then Seth had a child named Enosh. And it says in Genesis 4.26, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Interesting the way that's worded. They began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to pray. This is the first instance that we see of prayer taking place uh, after Adam and Eve had sinned. Remember that Adam and Eve would walk with the Lord. Adam would walk in the cool of the day with the Lord in the Garden of Eden. And then whenever they sinned, they wound up hiding from God. They were estranged from God. And uh, we don't see anybody praying or communicating with the Lord until that point. And so now then it says that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's talking about Enosh's line or Seth's line. And it also means that they began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. They began to call upon Yahweh and they began to call themselves Yahweh's people. And so whenever you see further on in scripture, it talks about the sons of God and the, the children of God and the children of men. It's talking about those who were gods and who were calling upon his name and those who didn't want to have anything, not the Cain's line, who were an ungodly line. And so you've got that distinction there. And so we wind up with people beginning to be identified as being connected to God because they pray. And this has been the connection all the way forward. Those who really pray are connected with God. Now, uh, sometimes people uh, don't, don't pray. And there are different reasons why they don't do that. And uh, some of those reasons why are, first of all, some people feel uncomfortable in the presence of God. And that's understandable. Adam and Eve felt uncomfortable in the presence of God after they sinned. And we can let our sin separate us from God. But what happened in the Garden of Eden whenever Adam and Eve were hiding from God? He started calling to them, didn't he? Adam, Adam, where are you? Later on, it's Moses, Moses. He called Moses over to the burning bush. God has been calling to people ever since. And since we have separated ourselves from him, he calls to us. He tries to get our attention in so many, many ways. And yet, because we are sinful and because God is awesome, and we talked about that, he is 
just breathtakingly awesome and holy and scary. And uh, we need to be aware. Yes, he is those things, but he reaches out to us in his holiness even, and he calls us to come to him and he makes a way for us to come to him. But that that separation is there. We have to face it. It needs to be dealt with. Whenever uh, Jesus was with Peter and Peter, he told Peter, throw down your net on the side of the boat. And Peter said, oh, Lord, I'm, we fished there. We've already done this, but I'll do it for you. And they throw down the net and it's full of fish. And all of a sudden, Peter realized in whose presence he was. And he just fell down before Jesus. And remember what he said? Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. We feel unworthy to come before him in prayer. But what did Jesus do? He said, you've been catching fish. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. Isaiah, when he was in the temple, And he was praying and he was just so concerned about the direction of his country and what was going to happen. All of a sudden, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filling the temple. And all of a sudden, he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He said, oh man, here I am. I am sinful and I... I, 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 I go around with these people all the time and I say the Apostles' Creed on Sunday morning and then I go out and live like the devil all week. I don't say, my, my lips are unclean. I don't even say the right words. How can I even stand before God? And what does God do? An angel takes a coal from the fire and he touches his lips. He said, this has made you clean. Now, Whom can I send? And all of a sudden, Isaiah cleansed and washed, says, me, me, send me. And boy, (laughs) was he in for an adventure. Whenever you hear God and you answer his call, life gets exciting, doesn't it? And yet he calls to each one of us. And yet we are, we do feel like we're not worthy to come into his presence. And so Jesus has made a way, hasn't he? He's made a way. And uh, just as the coal touched his lips and Isaiah was made whole, so the blood of Jesus cleanses us and washes us from all unrighteousness when we're willing to come before him the way that he calls us to come before him. And then we can come the way it says in Hebrews. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You may not feel that you're good enough or that God won't understand, and yet he's made it clear that it doesn't make any difference whether you're good enough. He has made provision for that. He has provided a lamb to pay the price so that you can come before him. And after you've come before him, washed and cleansed, then you can joyfully come into his presence. and But whenever we sin, sometimes it's hard. We get away from it. But then if we're willing to come back, it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And if you keep short accounts with God like that, then you could become like the little boy that uh, skipped up to the, the, the entrance to the, the palace where the king was holding a court. And uh, he tried to just skip right past the guard. The guard grabbed him and said, you can't go in there. The king's holding court. You can't go into the presence of the king. The little boy wiggled free from the guard and skipped on up the aisle and up to the throne and hopped in the king's lap and said, he may be your king, but he's my daddy. And this is just it. Whenever we have come to that place to where we have been washed and forgiven and we know that we're his, then he's our daddy. We don't, we are presumptuous. We know why we're there. It's because of mercy and grace. But we come boldly to the throne of grace. But so one thing we feel uncomfortable in his presence. Another thing is that uh, many times people haven't prayed rightly and they have been disappointed. I've had people tell me, yeah, I tried that prayer thing. It didn't work for me. And I've known of people, probably, there are people upset with God this morning because he didn't let them win that lottery. <laughs> they told him that it would solve all their problems if they could win that 900 and whatever million dollars and they would do good with it for, you know, also, you know. But uh, because he didn't listen and didn't do what they said that he should do, they're upset with him this morning. And I've known a lot of people be angry with God because God didn't do things the way that they told him to. Well, they've forgotten what God's really all about and how this relationship is supposed to work. He is God, not us. And he knows a whole lot better than we do what we need. Uh, others uh, are saving him for the big thing. They're saving, that's their chip. Whenever things get so bad that they can't handle it on their own, then their 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 ace in the hole, I guess you might say, is I'll give my life to God. I'll make a deal with Him. If you'll do this, then I'll give my life to you. And so they hold out because they know there's going to come a time where they're going to have to try to make a bargain with God. And the thing is, they have missed out on so much by doing that. And if they're that's what they're doing, they're going to be coming before God in the wrong heart in the first place. Because he's not a God to be manipulated. He's not a God to be told what to do. He is God Almighty, and we are his. We are his creatures. Well, some of them are saving for the big thing. And some of them, some people, let's face it, they're afraid that he might give them something bad. Jesus addressed that whenever he told the people, said, how many of you, if your child asks you for bread, will you give him a rock? And how many of you, if your child asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? And then he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts and will give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, heavenly father, give good things to you? And he made it clear that whenever we're asking of God, don't be scared. Don't be afraid you're going to get something bad. I've heard people uh, say, oh, you don't want to like, like, you know, you know they're, they're, this, this praying stuff, they get it so messed up. It's a, you know, praying for wisdom. 
They say, don't pray for wisdom because he's going to give you trouble so that you're a perseverance because he'll give you trouble, you know. And uh, there's all these uh, myths about don't pray for this or don't pray for that. You ask God for something, what he's going to give you is good. It may not be what you ask for or exactly the way that you ask for it because he's not going to give you second best. He's going to give you the best. Okay. Some of them don't think that he's able to do anything for them. And yet the very fact that we can stand and talk shows that he is able. The fact that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead shows that he can handle anything in this world shows that he is bigger than any mountain we might be facing. And some people just don't think that he's willing. They don't think he's willing. And yet Jesus told us, and we're going to be looking at this a little bit later on, ask and it should be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. You see the acronym there? A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. He's really trying to get something across to us, isn't he? Ask. I remember uh, there have been times I had one child in particular that just didn't want to ask. This particular child, I'm trying not to give away gender here either. I don't want to put any of my kids on the spot. This particular child would say, I sure could use a drink of water. I sure am thirsty. But this particular child wouldn't say May I have a drink of water, please? And we were trying to teach this child how to ask with manners. And they would always say, I haven't had any breakfast. (laughs) Would you like for me to fix you some breakfast? Yes. We ask and we'll give you some. Can I have some breakfast, please? But it was so hard. They didn't want to ask. And this is the way it is with us. Sometimes our pride gets in the way and we don't want to humble ourselves before God and ask for what we need and ask on behalf of others who are in need. And yet he's told us to ask. And so there are all these reasons. Some have been taught and told that God doesn't have time for them or for somehow they get the impression that that their stuff isn't big enough for God or that God's too busy or important for them. Poor blind Bartimaeus, there on the side of the road, Jesus, son of God, have mercy upon me. And the disciples go over and say, be quiet, man. Master doesn't have time for you. And yet what happened? He just cried out all the louder and Jesus stopped, said, bring him to me. And then he asked him, he said, what would you have me do for you, Lord, that I might receive my sight? And then Jesus gave him what he asked for, even though people were telling him, don't trouble the master with this. He's big enough to where he's got room and time for your troubles. And his love is deep enough to where he cares about each trouble that you have. It's not too little for him. If it's big for you, it's big for him because you have a very special place in his heart. Some people just don't know how to pray. And I want to close today by sharing a a story with you about a guy that learned how to pray. 
A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The pastor assumed that the old fellow had been informed that he was coming. So he said, I guess you're expecting me. And the fellow said, no, who are you? The pastor said, I'm the new associate at your local church. When I saw the empty chair, I just figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the pastor shut the door. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the man. But all of my life, I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer, the old man continued, until one day about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest that you do. What you should do is uh, just sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus sitting in that chair. It's not spooky because he promised, I'll be with you always. Then just speak to him and listen in the same way that you're doing with me right now. So I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day. I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The pastor was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the uh, old guy to continue on the journey that he was on. Then he prayed with him and returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace? The pastor asked. Yes, she said. When I left the house around two o'clock, he called me over to his bedside. He told me one of his corny jokes and kissed me on the cheek. When I got back from the store an hour later, I found him dead. But there was something strange, in fact, beyond strange, kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on a chair beside the bed. That's what prayer is all about. Making that connection with God that is so intimate and so personal that He is right there with you. Folks, these songs that we sing, they're not just vain, empty words. They're reflections of people's experience with God. In the garden was a hymn that my praying grandmother uh, sang a lot when she was washing dishes and things like that. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses. And this should be a chorus that we all mean when we sing it. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other 
has ever known. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.